You are listening to First in Human, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials. Presented by Vile, a tech-enabled CRO. Hosted by Simon Burns, CEO and co-founder. Featuring special guest host, Rich McCormick, EVP of Clinical Strategy and Head of Oncology. In this episode, we sit down with Alex Federation, co-founder of Talus Bio. Stay tuned to learn more about Talus's journey and their groundbreaking approach to drugging the undruggable genome using the revolutionary Marmot platform. Hi, I'm Rich McCormick, Executive Vice President of Clinical Strategy here at Vile. Joining me today on our First in Human podcast is Alex Federation, co-founder of Talus Bio. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So we'll jump right in. Can you share just your personal journey that led you to co-founding Talus? Yeah, for sure. So for me, a lot of this goes back to my earliest training in grad schools. Talus is focused on this problem of the undruggable genome. I still remember one of the first days I trained at Harvard, walking into these big fancy buildings where they invented the field of organic chemistry. You go into class and one of the first things they say is, oh, we have all these druggable targets and then 90% of the genome is undruggable, which was stunning and, and hard to believe that they just had resigned so much of biology to this area that they didn't want to touch. So I was lucky enough to find a lab there where I could train that was not afraid to go after this undruggable space. And we did some cool stuff there. And then really since then, my whole career has been trying to find the right technologies to plug in at these different parts of drug discovery to really try and tackle this problem of undruggables. And eventually that all led to what we're doing at Talos. Yeah, I love your company's philosophy of nothing is undruggable. So heading in that direction, can you guide us through that approach to developing those therapeutics for transcription factors? Yeah, so transcription factors are one family of proteins that are in this undruggable space. They're some of the oldest proteins we know about. So even before we knew what DNA was, we started to learn what transcription factors were because when they go wrong, the problems they cause are just so massive. Like a fly doesn't grow its wings or a mouse doesn't grow a tail. And as you might imagine, when these go wrong, which their their jobs is to find DNA, interpret the information in that DNA, interpret the information inside of the cell and outside of the cell and make decisions about what genes should be on or off. You might imagine that in cancer or in other diseases, when that decision-making process goes wrong, it's really easy for these proteins to lead to a state where it will just tell the cells to grow and grow and grow and keep the growth genes on forever. And that's what often happens. So the problem for these proteins is that since their jobs are so complicated, when you take them out of the cell, out of the nucleus where the DNA is and RNA is and all of their collaborative partners, they don't fool their function properly. Most other drug targets, you can take them out of the cell, put them in a test tube and do all sorts of things to find molecules and they still maintain their function. Transcription factors don't. So what we've had to do at Talus is bring new technologies forward that let us understand and observe how these proteins work in the natural, unmodified human cell, and then use those technologies to find molecules that can bind to these proteins and block their activity. So often in cancer, these proteins are hyperactive. We're finding molecules to stop their activity, turn off the genes for growth, and cause these cells to either die or, or stop growing. 
That's interesting. So then how does Talus bridge that gap between the high number of transcription factors and then the limited number of approved drugs? Yeah, so you're right. So there is this huge gap. There's about 200 or so transcription factors that we have found in the field to be associated with at least one type of cancer. There's about 10 approved drugs to target those. So huge gap. The way we approach this at Talus is in a data-dependent, a data-driven way, and also an unbiased way. So our technology uses something called proteomics. You're probably familiar with genomics, sequencing DNA in order to understand biology. My co-founder, Lindsay, is really a leader in how do we do this next step? How do we sequence proteins at scale? And that's what we use at Talus to try and bridge this gap. So when we look at a molecule, we're actually, since we use proteomics, we sequence all the proteins, we see what that molecule does to every transcription factor in the cell. So unlike the traditional approach where you have one target, you test many molecules, we actually can test many molecules against all the transcription factors at once to really let us rapidly iterate, discover, and optimize the molecules that we find. So the sort of two-dimensional approach to drug discovery can be a lot more efficient from a discovery point of view, but also a lot more challenging on the back end because then when we have all of this data, we have to use computational tools to kind of wade through it and prioritize what we're going to do next. Interesting. So then maybe that's where you were headed. So I was going to ask about the validation process for the newly discovered uh, TF inhibitors. Yeah. This is a problem that's really top of mind right now. We just finished one of our biggest discovery efforts and have literally hundreds of molecules that all look interesting. And triaging and prioritizing how we approach that is a new problem for us. So the process right now looks a lot like what I was mentioning. So how do we use computational tools and machine learning? to help essentially rank all of these molecules based on all the data that we have. How potent does it hit one of these transcription factors? How selective is it? We see what these molecules do to every TF in the cell. So we want to start with something that's pretty specific and only modulating the TF that's contributing to the cancer growth. And there's other things too, like the actual chemistry we take into consideration, the commercial viability of these molecules going forward, like how many other people are trying to work on these targets. So it's really a multifaceted approach and really leading on the computational side of it to help us make those decisions. How does your Marmot platform factor into that drug discovery? Yeah, so the Marmot is, the way we think about it is essentially letting us do that first step, as well as the follow-up that we were just talking about. So Marmot lets us take a molecule, see what it does to all the transcription factors, and then allow us to really sort of turn the crank. So when we have an initial molecule, it's still pretty far away from being a drug. But like we mentioned before, these targets don't have structure. They're really hard to purify outside of the cell. So we really need to use these advanced technologies while we're optimizing these molecules as well. And that's what Marmot lets us do. So we can take a molecule, we can synthesize all sorts of analogs, see how those changes to the molecule affect the potency of the drug, see how they affect the selectivity in the cell and other parameters that we're trying to optimize for, like pharmacokinetics and stability and other drug-like properties. So you mentioned cancer in an earlier answer. What about challenges in developing therapeutics for rare diseases like chordoma? 
Yeah, there's pros and cons to every sort of decision like this, and markets can change. So the obvious con from a business point of view for a small disease is that there's a small number of patients. So it's harder to sometimes justify the investment from a venture side or from a strategic side in a rare disease like Cordoma. But that being said, we've seen some massive successes in the rare disease space, even just in the last few months. Springworks comes to mind. They just had a drug approved in a rare desmoid tumor. And there's other folks now pursuing that indication because they kind of paved the way. And that's really one of the pros for going after rare diseases like this is that the development path can be pretty streamlined. The resources can be pretty rich. So we are lucky to collaborate with the Cordoma Foundation, who's really not just built out a lot of support for people like us on the preclinical side to help us optimize our drugs faster but also on the clinical side to help set us up for efficiency and success in first clinical trials for the molecules we're making. So that's the way we think about it. There's also the obvious thing that I didn't even mention, but there's really a huge unmet need. And that really is what drives the decision at the end of the day. There's no approved drugs in Cordoma. Even chemotherapy is ineffective here. So it's really a disease that's managed by surgery, radiation, and then waiting until the cancer inevitably recurs. So we're eager to bring these molecules forward as quickly as we can for these patients. So how might a, a breakthrough with Rakiuri inhibitors impact treatments beyond Cordoma, like especially in other cancer types? Yeah, that's a good point. This is an interesting transcription factor. So Rakiuri is only normally expressed in very early embryonic development. So and essentially all of the tissues in adults and children too, <laughs> anyone that's been born, brachiaria is shut off. So in Cordoma in particular, when brachiaria is turned on in these particular cells that are around our spinal cord, it drives these tumors, these Cordoma tumors, and it's really the sole driver of those cancers. But that being said, if we look across many other cancers, colorectal, triple negative breast cancer, lung cancer, even some other rare cancers like Ewing sarcoma, brachiuri is also reactivated there. And we think it's less well studied there and it's not the sole driver, but seems to really play a collaborative role in metastasis and resistance to chemotherapy. So it's something that we're starting to explore now that we have more advanced molecules is, is where is the next best place to start looking at brachiuri inhibition to help other indications as well. So you mentioned pediatric cancer in that response. Mm -hmm. It seems like you have some grants that have come available to tell us. So how do you plan to sort of use those grants to tackle the unique challenges with childhood cancers? Childhood cancers are really interesting, right? So like if you think about lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, this is often a disease associated with smoking or, or exposure to some carcinogens. It's really people have decades of time being exposed to these mutagenic substances. To accumulate all these mutations that eventually, once enough hits happen and lead to cancer, that's not the case with kids, right? They haven't been alive long enough to accumulate that many mutations. So really what tends to happen in pediatric cancer is that there's essentially really bad luck. They get one mutation in something like a transcription factor that can get them go and regulate the activity of thousands of genes downstream and sort of make up for the fact that they haven't had time to accumulate this genetic damage. So they get one mutation in a TF that can have widespread effects. So the way we're approaching it, the thing about this is, is that 
since these mutations are so profound and essentially they're also recurrent, they tend to happen over and over in different patients, we know what they are. So we can now go into models where we have these new mutations that happen in pediatric cancers and use the platform like Marmot to try and find molecules that are very specific at modulating these mutated forms of transcription factors. And that's a big focus of our grants is how do we do that for especially these childhood tumors, these solid tumors where chemotherapy is not really a solution yet. So I know we've mentioned the the Marmot platform a couple of times. Maybe could you just elaborate on, you know, what sets it apart from the competition and, and maybe what do you see as the envision for future impact of Talus in the realm of transcription factors? Yeah, absolutely. So the traditional approach to the undruggable space and one that's had some success is essentially bringing forward different methods that allow us to find molecules that stick to undruggable proteins. And in the past, when people have done this, they take these proteins, they either take them out of a cell into an in vitro system or into a test tube, or they engineer the cell in some way to allow them to study those proteins. For transcription factors, though, both of these approaches just inherently stop the transcription factor from being able to do its job and being able to be in the right conformation, in the right shape to, to do its job. And as a result, the molecules that people have found using these traditional approaches have just tended to be ineffective. They're binding to an irrelevant conformation of the protein. So what we do instead, and really the fundamental hypothesis of what we do, is that we really need to be discovering these molecules in the most native system that we can. So an unmodified live human cells. And that's really the differentiating factor for Marmot is bringing new technology to the earliest stages of drug discovery to let us do that. And we've been mostly focused during this conversation on discovering molecules. But if we take a step back, and one thing that we're starting to look at more now is we can use these technologies to really measure any sort of changes in the transcription factor act proteome or the transcription factor activity in human cells. There's a lot of interest and activity now in cellular reprogramming or tools to try and slow aging. These are all phenotypes. These are all things that are driven by expressing new transcription factors. Same with cell therapy. Can we figure out new transcription factors to help us manipulate cells to have new behaviors that we want as clinicians, as biologists? And tools like this can really help us understand what's going on under the hood in those sorts of applications as well. That's great. So Alex, it's been a pleasure meeting with you today, and thank you for being a guest on Vial's First in Human podcast. The team here at Vial wishes you and your team at Talus Bio nothing but future success. Yeah, thanks so much for having us and being interested in our science. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and Google. 